When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show, show, me, me, da, da, me, 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 me. A repeat podcast. We're doing the movie again. <laughs> this is a glitch. This is a glitch in the Matrix. Uh, we're, we're having deja vu. What's up, everybody? I'm Austin Hayden, and I'm joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We've got Raymond. That's all. And we've got Ryan. What's up, film fans? And coming back for a repeat performance so that we can do a repeat of a thing that we've done before, we have Riley. What's up, Riley? Gird your loins. Gird your loins. And as you could tell by the title or uh, maybe by some of the hints that we've dropped, we're doing our first ever Repeat. We've never done it before. The fans well, asked about a for film, it. And then we... <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We were inundated with fan mail saying, "Do Double Wears Prada again?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everyone was clamoring for this specific movie on this specific show to be done again. <laughs> Listen, I. Some of my favorite episodes are the ones where we squeeze as much as possible out of films that maybe on the surface don't seem like they're like philosophical or culturally rich or whatever but that's bullshit because every cultural artifact has a lot to say so i love when we can kind of like really dive deep on these things so we're, of course we're talking about the devil wears prada from 2006 directed by david frankel starring anne hathaway queen merrill emily blunt stanley tucci simon baker ozzy ozzy oi 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 uh and then of course vinnie chase aka adrian grenier or maybe it's the other way around i don't even know anymore because in my mind he will always be vinnie chase um anyway let's go around and do first impressions what was it like the first time we saw it what was it like the first time we talked about it on the podcast? Uh, Ryan, maybe you and I can do that one. Raymond wasn't here. Riley wasn't here for that. Whatever. What it's been like on repeat viewings. But before we do that, I do want to make sure I give a plug to our Twitter. So please go ahead and check that out. It's smtm underscore pod. That's smtm underscore pod. We do all kinds of like bonus stuff, tweeting out like articles or maybe flame takes that uh, that we feel like casting out there into the Twitter sphere. So go ahead and follow that. Of course, you can follow Wisecrack on Insta. Make sure you check out our other podcasts, uh, Wisecrack Podcast, that's Culture Binge, we got The Squanch, etc., etc., you know the deal, just go check out the network, and then of course check out our Patreon, that's patreon.com slash wisecrack, that's where you can get all access to all kinds of like bonus content, Discord, we've got bonus episodes up there where we've done some deep dives into acting and debut feature films, Apocalypse Now, etc., 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 so go check that out, patreon.com slash wisecrack, that's enough housekeeping, let's get into this shit, we're gonna start with, we're gonna start with Riley. You're Riley, crazy for that. You, You're crazy. You campaigned. That. You campaigned for this film and this is this is this is this is you le- driving the ship, okay? We are merely she oars wrote, wrote in a your wave boat. Of populist so. support back onto the podcast to talk about <laughs> the one the one movie everyone has been clamoring for a repeat repeat discussion on. And listen, I listened to the people. I got my ear to the ground. I know what everyone wants. And so I said, I'm going to single-handedly make it happen. And here we are. Um, All right. I mean, my God. 
I mean, how much time do we have? What more can I say? This We have is... an hour. Okay. We have one hour. All right, hour. all right. I'll speed it up then. It's <laughs> okay. six right. minutes now. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to use 48 of those to talk. Um, <laughs> this movie, like, when, the, when I saw this... Um, I would also just like to tout that I was a whopping 10 years old when this film came out. And um, I remember seeing it and being like, oh, that's what I want to do forever. Like everything about it is amazing. And this is what I want to do. Make Not Meryl fashion, Street but movies? Like, <laughs> yes, make Meryl Street movies. Um, I, I, I like my party trick in like high school and college. I've seen this movie so many times. It would be like I could... I could probably recite at least the first 20 minutes of this film verbatim. And it's just, I, I loved it. Um, it was just, I mean, I don't I don't even know where to start. Watching it again now after just kind of like reeling from like, holy shit, this is acting. Meryl Streep is acting. Yeah, yeah, with like, a capital A. Capital A acting. And, and what struck me then and what struck me even more now is just like, just the brilliance of... Meryl generally but like specifically as Miranda like to be such a such a a, a villain I can of quote unquote villain I, like that you could so empathize with and just how well she's written and well she's performed and like even just the moments of one of the just, movie's like, master strokes is humanizing oh my god like unbelievable like the way even though you only have such small moments of like the of the no makeup Meryl moments like they're few and far between, but like that's all you need, and and it's so brilliantly done. Um, yeah, I mean, and just watch it. I mean, like God, the sequences are so fun. The Andy's first makeover sequence when you're getting all those sh- those match cut shots of her in different outfits mm. walking down the street. I just thought was just like really fun, really tight filmmaking. Um, but I mean, yeah, this it's just this movie's just. Fun as hell. I loved it. I had a blast watching it again. It was great. <laughs> How many times have you seen this film, you think? I don't feel comfortable answering that without a lawyer present <laughs> at this time. <laughs> so who's next? Okay. I think we should definitely move on from Yeah, <laughs> Raymond. I'm going to save Ryan for last because, Ryan, you've got also, you've not only got to give us your first impressions, but you got to like, what was it like the first time we talked about this, well, right? Yeah, so yeah. let's go with Raymond here. It was a big, Raymond, it was a big moment what, for all concerned when you first did, yeah. when you first covered this on the pod. Yeah, life-changing. Um, so this came out, uh, I I think I was I was 16 years old 2006 so I was in uh, I was in high school there and this movie feels like it immediately became like a TV classic I feel like it was on HBO mm. or, or TBS quite frequently and uh, I remember at the time my high school girlfriend was also a really big fan of it and I had in my mind, this recollection, not necessarily a recollection of it, but I was like, yeah, I've seen Devil Wears Prada because I had seen it in bits and pieces and I picked up a lot through cultural osmosis. Um, and it honest, honestly wasn't until less than a year ago where I actually watched it from from uh, beginning to end all the way just because I had assumed I had seen it. And uh, in my mind, I had this this impression that like, oh, it didn't it didn't really leave much of a much of an impression on me, and it was just, oh no, I just hadn't seen the fucking thing. Because when I when I watched it, I was like, this movie's incredible. It's really, really. You're great. like, it's so forgettable. <laughs> yeah, like no, no, I don't no. even remember anything about it. 
And, uh, you know, not only I, I think a lot of uh, uh, a lot of chatter has been made about how uh, how great uh, Meryl Streep and Emily Blunt are. And they are both really, uh, really phenomenal in the picture. But also Stanley Tucci, no slouch. Uh, he's he's excellent in the movie. And I also think uh, Anne Hathaway deserves some kudos. I mean, she is she is punching so far above her weight, like surrounded by the Meryl Streeps and Stanley Tucci's of the world. And. Obviously, Emily Blunt wasn't, you know, this this was like her her first or just her second uh, film appearance. Um, but she's those two are so phenomenal as young talents in this. And um, yeah, it's it's just like all around really great performances. I'm not so hot on Adrian Grenier. I think the movie has a few bum notes near the end of it. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. But uh, overall, it doesn't it doesn't really detract from the picture. This is like. I can imagine watching this every year or so. It, it just seems like not only a wonderful film with wonderful performances, but it, it seems like optim, optimal like comfort viewing as well. It's just uh, it's just a really really rich, really fun and uh, and breezy watch. So highly recommended. Hmm. Is this the film that basically launched Emily Blunt at least for yeah, like hundred into- percent. She, yeah. um, I, okay. I think she had done some TV and stage and stuff, but I remember at the time people talking about like, who is this Emily Blunt girl? She's going to get an Oscar nom for mm. her first film role, essentially. Um, mm. And, you know, she, I think she had been nominated for a BAFTA. I think she was nominated for a SAG award. She was, she was nominated for a bunch of precursors Shit. and then, then fell short of the, uh, the Oscar nomination. But uh, yeah, it's, um, she's, she's great in the movie. They're, they're all yeah, great. And she I think, really is. We talked about how Miranda is such a a fully formed character and a fully formed person. I would say that for all of these characters, this could very easily be the the Jeffries sketch from SNL, where they're all just like bitchy and wearing you know very very hoity toity like little sunglasses and talking on impossibly small yeah. cell phones. Like you could have very easily played all yeah, of yeah, these yeah. folks mm-hmm. to archetype. And I think one of the one of the excellent aspects of the movie is that that. It, it never stoops to that. They're always like never. They're they're, they're always fully realized. These characters and the, and the, yeah. the the actors and the filmmakers never judge them. All right, Ryan. What about you, brother? Welcome to the Redux. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think uh, uh, the f- it, it was literally as I was watching this movie again. I'm like, oh yeah. When did I watch this the first time? It was relatively recently. Wait, wasn't it for this exact podcast? <laughs> like, I had this entire mind melt. And then I, sure enough, I look it up. I'm like, we did this before. <laughs> like, this is funny. Um, but no, but this, so this was an interesting thought experiment for me was whether I'm going to get it. I didn't go back and watch the whole thing. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm interested to see if my review is the same. Mm. But, um, but essentially, I, uh, uh, uh I think what I said last time was that was that I kind of had a stigma in my mind about this movie before I watched it the first yeah. time. Like, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, every a lot of people that I uh, know love this movie and stuff, but also a lot of people that it's like I I, I don't I'm trying to say that, say this in the most polite way possible. I don't necessarily respect their movie opinions <laughs> um, that love this movie to death. Name them first you know, and last name. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Social security numbers is. Mm-hmm. Um no, but but I find this movie super watchable like you were saying uh Raymond it's su- it's such a well-made movie that is that is seemingly about a niche topic but that is very very much made aesthetically f- to please the masses and for everyone and for a mass crowd you know th- someone like me who has 
negative fashion sense. I mean, I'm in full sweats. <laughs> uh, uh, I have zero fashion sense, and I but I enjoy watching this movie in set in this world, and it also kind of is one of those things where, yeah, it's about fashion, but as I was watching this movie, I was like, this movie really could take place, this dynamic can take place in lots of industries, you know? Mm. Kind of like the just fresh off the boat, I'm ready to do anything for my craft and career and to learn the ropes and stuff, and then the person who's been there, the veteran, who is just like kind of, you're exposable, disposable to them almost. And like, yeah, the, the, the master-student uh, relationship between Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway is very is cool and like you guys said they're they feel like real people they're not just cartoonish characters you know like even meryl streep who you know could very much yeah who is essentially the villain she's a real person in the movie and you kind of see where she's coming from and then even at the end i feel like you kind of like her a little bit more than you did at the beginning of the movie you know she's even warmed up to you a little bit so i like this movie it warmed my cold dead heart <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, for me, I guess uh, kind of similar. The, the 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 first time I saw it, um, maybe to what where I'm saying, first time I saw it, I didn't really know what to expect going into it. Like I was like, oh, is this just a quote unquote chick flick, yeah. right? And um, I watched it, and I was like, wow, this movie is way better than I thought it deserved to be. Like it's mm. excellent. Like I think the pacing is really good. Yeah, I I think that I agree with Raymond. <laughs> there are a couple of things I don't love some of the the boyfriend girlfriend dynamic stuff and i don't necessarily yeah. even love like the simon baker um parts like some of it's okay for me but some of it kind of it kills the momentum a little bit but i guess you kind of have to do that because it is quite pacey so it kind of slows down and lets you breathe for a second and then it introduces at least that nice little twist in there where you know he kind of reveals to anne hathaway's character about the plots that are going on which i think is important from like a power dynamic um, understanding of of kind of like exposing how the corporate world works or whatever um but the more that i've seen it the more that i think that there's actually so much stuff that we can kind of pull apart in this film and hopefully that's what we'll do since this podcast is called Show Me the Meaning. So rather than just us gushing about how much we like this film, <laughs> it might be interesting to see, like, what can we take away from this film? What is it expressing? What is it exposing about corporate dynamics, about aspiration, about um, American American um, aspirational desires? There's all kinds of things in there. And then I think the last thing I'll say is I actually love what Ryan just said about how it's kind of like a niche film, right? It's about the fashion industry. And you might think, like, oh, but I'm not really into fashion, so I won't be into the film. But it's it, it kind of reminds me there's so many films like this um, and, and for some reason I don't know why this film popped up into my head maybe it's just because it was like one of my favorite films as a child but it's Cocktail right oh, like yeah. you get this guy <laughs> who like all all he wants to do is he gets out of the military and he just wants to like make his million right and then he climbs the ranks of like the bartending scene and he wants to become hmm. like a, a, an owner like that he finds that that's his thing that's that he's good at that's what he's good at and at first he kind of shits on it because that's not his thing and he's like whatever and then it's kind of a similar sort of idea but it's a very sort of typical tale right as somebody um, with like fresh ideals that has all these aspirations and goals and they kind of go through the corporate system and, and they kind of like run into all kind of obstacles there and, and even even though it might seem like a niche film, there's real universal principles, I think, is what I'm ultimately getting at here. There's real universal principles that we can pull from yeah. it. And I think that's what makes it that's what makes it super interesting. So, okay, before we start peeling things apart, we're just going to give a quick recap here um, to give some people a refresher or to kind of catch some people up if they're not as familiar with the film. So, freshly graduated aspiring, aspiring journalist Andy lands a job as a junior personal assistant to Miranda Priestley, the editor-in-chief of Runway Magazine. 
magazine, a job that quote-unquote millions of girls would kill for. Andy plans to basically put up with a man Miranda's excessive demands and humiliating treatment for one year in the hopes of getting a job as a reporter or writer somewhere else, doing something more prestigious. So at first, Andy basically fumbles along and kind of fits poorly with the gossipy, fashion-conscious uh, co-workers, especially Miranda's senior assistant, Emily. And then after a dress trial meeting in which Miranda berates her in front of the entire team, she approaches art director Nigel because she's basically like, dude, I need some help. Can you please teach me the ropes of the fashion world? So she starts to dress all stylishly. She starts showing a little more effort for the position, accommodating all of Miranda's whims and fancies. However, problems arise in her relationship with her dude, Nate, who increasingly gets frustrated with the amount of time that she's devoting to this job that she claims that she never really was invested in in the first place. Now, Miranda starts to notice Andy's changed appearance and commitment and begins to give her a bit more responsibility. Slowly but surely, Andy becomes more glamorous and begins a aligning herself to the runway philosophy. She gradually begins to outperform Emily as well. And then, of course, Emily, uh, during this whole process, is consumed with this thought of attending Paris Fashion Week as Miranda's assistant, but she starts to lose her health by attempting extreme diets. Now, at a charity event, Emily fails to provide information about a guest making his way to meet Miranda, but Andy swoops in, saves the day, and gives Miranda the information, and then is asked to replace Emily as Miranda's assistant at Fashion Week. Miranda tells Andy to inform Emily that she will not be going to Paris, but when Andy calls Emily, Emily is hit by a car and ends up in the hospital. Andy then tells the recovering Emily the news, and Emily is infuriated. Now, when Andy tells Nate the news, he is also angered, that she has become what she once ridiculed and they break up. In Paris, Andy learns from Miranda herself about her impending divorce, and then later that night, Nigel tells Andy that he's accepted a job as the creative director with rising designer James Holt, which means he's going to be leaving Runway. Further, Andy meets a hot young writer, Christian Thompson, who reveals to her that Miranda is set to be replaced as the editor of Runway. Now, feeling bad for Miranda in her current situation, Andy tries to warn her, but it doesn't get through. Now, at lunch the next day, however, Miranda pulls a little switcheroo and announces that Jacqueline is the new creative director to Holt, leaving Andy and Nigel stunned, which means that Nigel doesn't get that position that he thought that he was guaranteed. Uh, and then later in the car, Miranda basically just explains to Andy that she already knew about the plot to replace her, and so she had to sacrifice Nigel instead so that she could keep her own job. When Andy seems repulsed, Miranda points out that Andy did the exact same thing with Emily by stepping over her and agreeing to go to Paris. When they stop, Andy gets out and throws her cell phone into a fountain, leaving Miranda, Runway, and the fashion industry behind. Now, sometime later, Andy ends up meeting back up with Nate and apologizes. They reconcile, get back together. He's a sous chef in Boston. And then that same day, Andy's interviewed and accepted to work at a major New York publication company. They decide to do the long distance thing, I guess. And then the editor of this new position recounts how he called Runway for a reference and was told by Miranda herself that while Andy was one of the biggest disappointments she ever had as an assistant, he would be an idiot not to hire her. While passing the Runway office later some afternoon, Andy seeks Miranda, or sees Miranda gets, uh, getting into a car and she waves at her, but Miranda does not acknowledge or wave back. But once she gets into the car, she smiles to herself as she drives off. 
End of movie. All right, but before we continue, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Storyblocks. Y'all know the deal. Storyblocks is the complete stock solution, providing an unlimited library of over a million plus royalty-free, high-quality video, audio, and images, all through cost-effective subscription plans. You can get unlimited downloads with Storyblocks. Unlimited all-access plan gives you unlimited downloads of everything in their library so that you can try out multiple options quickly, and so you can create more and spend less time without sacrificing quality. Oh, and you can spend less moolah. So save those bucks. Create more video. Bring your stories to life without sacrificing vision due to time, budget, or resources by going to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack and you can learn all about what Storyblocks has to offer. I use Storyblocks. Wisecrack use Storyblocks with the big videos that we do on our main channel. They're legit. They do great stuff for pretty much any project that you can imagine, whether you're a podcaster, a YouTuber, whether you're doing Twitch streams, or if you're trying to do cool stuff with Instagram stories or TikTok videos. Go to storyblocks.com slash wisecrack, and you can learn all about the goodies that they have to offer. Again, that's storyblocks.com slash wisecrack. All right, let's start peeling this onion back a little bit here. Um, let's do this first. So we've heaped praise on this film. It moves. It's got lots of cool stuff to say. Before we start talking about some of the ideas and maybe some of the themes in the film, let's talk about some of these speed bumps that you noticed, Raymond. What are some of these speed bumps that you think that the film kind of runs into or maybe it's not as successful? Um, I think this movie really clicks when it is about Andy's relationship with the magazine, whether that be personified by Miranda or Stanley Tucci or Emily Blunt, who I think her character is just named Emily in this. Um, and I think that there's a lot of stuff with Adrian Grenier that, that just kind of feels perfunctory. Um, and there are some moments in the movie where like, as their relationships falling apart, which, you know, it's fine if you want to illustrate like her, making sacrifices personally or socially in order to pursue something professionally. But he's just such a dweeb. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm, <laughs> he's just so unlikable. And he feels all of the, the humanism with which the main cast of characters at Runway are imbued. It feels like he's denied. I don't know if that's in the script or in the performance you know, it is what it is, but he never really feels like a fully realized person. He feels more like a conflict engine. And uh, I, I don't like that. You know, the, there's there's the one scene where she goes to like the Met Gala or whatever, whatever this universe's version of the Met Gala is. And he's like, well, are you going to be home uh, to like pat me on the head for my birthday or whatever when, <laughs> when I blow out my candles like a good little birthday boy? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. I'm like, it's the Met Gala. You're going to be there till one in the morning. <laughs> like, what are you, wh why are you trying to double book on the night of the Met Gala? And sure, you know, it's, it's one of those things like she, she doesn't know that she's going to have to go to that until the day of. But even then, it's like, you're a fucking adult. You'll have, you'll have cake and, and ice cream tomorrow. <laughs> like, get over it. <laughs> um, so that, that's one thing. I think that the, the, the movie just kind of lags with him. They, they, there's, I, I just don't think that's necessary. I think that she is enough of a perfectionist and her character wants to do well enough that that can be the like the locus of conflict for her it can be internal at least in my personal estimation um but the stuff that really like 
on in the third act where it starts to wobble for me is like the this isn't necessarily in the third act but the twins tricking her into putting into coming upstairs is in and the twins are even having a conversation about tricking her in front of her yes <laughs> that seems terrible and and also you don't really have to do that you could just you could just infer that, hey, in much the same way that this job is taking a toll on Andy and her personal life, it probably has some upstream effects with Miranda as well. And later on, when that, that scene that y'all referenced, I think, Riley, you mentioned uh, her, her scene where Meryl's totally makeup-free and she's just wearing a robe, which is a great scene. I think that y- you would still understand where she's coming from in those moments. You don't need to see, like, oh, a fight through the, the blinds or whatever it is. And then the the mea culpa for that is Andy having to track down the seventh Harry Potter book, which is just impossible. Like, that's such an insurmountable thing. And it feels like it ties this movie to a moment unnecessarily when, like, she could have made her her makeup into, like, you have to go across town and get this this pair of shoes from this designer and there's only one pair of these shoes. You know, it could have been better tied into what they actually do rather than, like... So the seventh Harry Potter book is coming out and you need to make two beautifully bound copies of it to give to my idiot twins who screwed you over. It's, you know, those those things are a little bit like shark jumpy um, in a way that I think the rest of the movie resists. Uh, I think there's another point at which like when Emily Blunt gets hit by the, the car and everything's just collapsing on her at that moment. I think that scene would work better if if there weren't, like, a big rain of scarves to fall. And it's just, I feel like David Frankel's not a great filmmaker, and there are times where, like, he gets in the way of what is an otherwise, like, kind of supernatural uh, occurrence with this movie, which is that it it comes off as, as human and as organic as it does for as long as it does, and then it just feels like all all of that work doesn't go to waste. I still really, really like this movie, but by the end of it, it's just kind of like, oh, well, this is the movie you expect it to be, is just like this goofy succession of scenes. Um, that said, once again, I don't think it detracts too terribly from the film, because everyone's still wonderful throughout, but... Uh, those those are the few speed bumps that come to mind, Austin. Do you think it's do you think it's just that 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 tension? I mean, it seems like it's difficult that there's two like almost worlds that it's trying to bring together, which is like okay, you've got the corporate world and all of the shenanigans that are associated with that, and then the idea that it trickles down and it has impact into the personal world. And there's just like a little bit of clunkiness, maybe because the one world is really fleshed out. We know who Miranda is. We know everything about her just from before we see her. We know everything about her from how other people react. Or at least let's say we know everything that we're meant to know about her at that point. What we don't know is the weakness stuff, the the vulnerabilities, the, the, the human element, right, outside of that, which is maybe what they were trying to do by kind of giving us a little bit of insight into the personal with her kids and, you know, with the idea that her marriage is suffering and stuff like that. And then it's kind of like a, a morality tale, like if you're married to your job, this is what happens kind of thing. Because not only does it happen with Anne, Hathaway's character, but it also, Andy, but it also happens with Miranda, right? And so it's kind of like a warning that's like, hey, if you want to be in this world, this is the kind of difficulty, the misery that is facing you. You know, you can have all of this power in this sphere, 
but this sphere over here sphere over here is going to suffer and maybe that's what the film's trying to do it just maybe the one the personal side isn't fleshed out nearly enough because we spend so much time really delving into the kind of business side does that make sense yeah um um m adkins in the chat just actually that just shared a thought i was having so like you know we were in we're talking about like the personal life versus like the corporate world fashion world all of that stuff like i think you're right in that it i felt that it it did feel really uneven because it's like her friends and nate are they just seem so much more caricature compared like in light of these amazing the friends especially yes like when you have them up against like Nigel and Emily and Miranda, it's like, of course, it's like, it's so, it's so glaringly obvious, like the, the difference in just, you know, how human and how grounded they are. Um, and, and so M. Adkins said that the, in the book, cause it's the Devil Wears Prize based off a book, um, used Lily instead of Nate as the story device for Andy's abandoning her friends for the magazine. And it felt more authentic and in line with the theme of female friendships and or relationships, which I, is Lily Tracy loved. Tom's character? That's her. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I would have like, because I totally agree. It's like I don't, I don't care enough about her relationship with Nate for it to be like, oh no, her life is suffering. Like her personal life is taking a toll. I feel bad for her. I feel bad that she's stressed. But I'm not like, no, I want them to work. But like, if they spent more time like in the movie taking as much care of like Lily and like that friendship to then see I think that could have been an interesting parallel of like her relationship with Emily and Miranda at the magazine compared to her or her friendship with Lily on the other side like that would have felt like more of a one to one in terms of like priorities and taking care of other women and other friends compared to then just like Nate who is just who was yeah the the decision to make it about a romantic relationship kind of feels like crass when when uh, M Adkins and and you bring that up if that's if if the book is really like zeroing in on her uh, her interpersonal relationships or her social relationships it it does feel like not to you know not to read it in bad faith but like there are some very sexy scenes where like. Uh, to apologize to her boyfriend she comes home and she's wearing a, a lingerie set and stuff like that where it's like I don't know is that in the book if it is whatever but it, it just is one of those things that like oh this you know th- sure this is a chick flick but the guys will want to see a little something too when their girlfriends yeah, drag them totally. to this because they <laughs> totally. can't get tickets to Superman Returns <laughs> Right, that it's like, well, it wouldn't have been as interesting if she had too many girlfriends and it's just a girl dealing with clothes and other girls. But (laughs) it would have made it so, so much... I would have cared so much more about like her balancing both of those things. And in this one, I'm just like, yeah, go to the Met Gala. Like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. You can eat a piece of cake. You can see him in the morning. Get a mimosa. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ryan, you want to jump in here on any of this? Or? Uh, yeah, I was just said my big problem with the movie was it just was not loyal enough to that book that I loved so much. <laughs> I've read <laughs> cover to cover. Uh, 
Hate, hate when that happens yeah. when the adaptations don't because they, 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 it just doesn't fit with what you would imagine exactly right? I had I had someone completely yeah. different I hate that what you've Street. been sitting with for years in your head yeah right. <laughs> yeah so you tell you tell us Ryan what you expected because you're such a big fan of the book and all uh-huh. right so you you tell us like what how did you picture this this dyna- dynamic stuff this relationship stuff working out you, you yeah I'm yeah well uh-huh. I pronounced it Paris in my head every time of course so every time they said Paris in the movie mm. it just pissed me mm. off you know like yes. you don't yes. know how to pronounce some of these words when, unless you hear them sometimes Paris uh, fashion week right yes yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I do want to say one thing that I think is an interesting discussion point regarding the relationship is there's a quote where it basically says, and I think it's like a little bit trite the way the quote comes across, but I think it's it's hitting at something interesting. It says the person whose calls you take, that's the person that you're in a relationship with, right? And I think, <laughs> um, I think, I think the idea is is it's. It's more about like where you invest your energy, where you invest your time, where you invest your output, the things that you literally invest in. So in like psychoanalysis, there's this word cathexis. Um, and it's this idea that literally you imbue yourself into an object of desire or an object of affection. So it could be just like a family heirloom or like a like a picture frame, you know? Or a cerulean That scarf. is quote value. Yeah, whatever that is like valueless, right? But because it has so much meaning that you've invested into it, then it carries significant weight, right? So this is like a material way of trying to kind of like describe something that seems to be kind of like ethereal, right? But I think that this is literally true. The persons or the things that you are spending your time on, that you're giving your attention to, that you're giving your energy to, those are the things that you're quote in a relationship with. In other words, those are the things that matter most to you. So it is interesting in 2006 you know this is about like a relationship and yeah like fine it's like you know i'm not getting enough love and you're giving too much time to your career but i just think it's an interesting talking point to broaden out to even like the stuff that we invest in in terms of career aspirations or the kind of like fitness lifestyle or the inspirational lifestyle that we get fed on social media um the thank god it's monday stuff the hustle culture the um even just scrolling for hours on tiktok um and things like that those are the things that we're giving ourselves to and it's interesting to think then like what does that mean like what are we then losing what are we not giving our energy to things that might actually round us out as better humans that might make us more robust that might make us more capable of engaging in our interpersonal relationships or um in career stuff if she's giving too much energy to an industry that's going to eat her up and spit her out then is there a way then that she could shift her energy investment into something else that would maybe yield more positive results? I mean, something along those lines. I thought there's something at least interesting in that quote. Yeah, I think there's a lot. Uh, uh, it's a fun sentence to break down, too, because, it, it all, you know, honestly, if you it, it's kind of uh, uh, true to this world or I guess any corporate world, too, because really what they're implying is that you're ignoring a lot of people's calls, you know, throughout the day <laughs> and that who are you like kind of excited? Like, ooh, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick this one up. Yeah. You know, I'm going to actually take this. Like I'm, I'm like, this is what I get out of bed to the, in the morning is to talk to this person as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to ignore this, you know, thing or this, whatever. Mm. Like, it's like, who, who are you kind of have that extra passion and excitement to, to take their call. Maybe I'm reading into that too, too much, but yeah, yeah, no, I think what you said specifically is, is interesting in terms of, of, 
Are you, are you feeling guilty about somebody's calls that you've been ignoring, Ryan? Is this <laughs> I don't ignore calls. I answer them all. It might take me a week after you've texted me, but I will answer it at some point. <laughs> all right. It, it, it reminds me of that TikTok trend that a lot of the a lot of the younger Zoomers were doing, where it's like like a good boyfriend doesn't leave your your. Uh, texts on red or something oh, like that and yeah. in my mind i'm like is that like a is that like such a social phenomenon that it's like millions of people on fucking tiktok are watching these things that are like yes that's right a really good boyfriend doesn't just leave your text on red i'm like that's kind of to me it's just like a total different but that's kind of like this next generation's version of something similar uh, from 2006 sign of the times, right? man it's like it's human <laughs> psychology you see that red thing there you're like all right any second now i'm gonna see the little bubbles <laughs> pop up they must obviously be thinking about that's what right. they're gonna respond to me it's been hours what they just ignored it what's going on in them and then in, in reality they're just like they saw it, they're going to do it later, and they're just, you know, they're not thinking about it. But you're, uh, uh, meanwhile, your mind's going crazy. Who who says it? Is it, is it, uh, what's his name there? Nate? Is he the one that says it? I think it's Nate. Yeah. 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 yeah, I, yeah, guess yeah. That, I guess that's the only person that would make sense. But it, it, it is, it's also one of those, like, really reductive metrics by which to gauge the health of a relationship. It's like, the person whose calls you pick up, that's the person you're in a relationship with. And it's like, yeah, I'm right. fucking in front of you right now. <laughs> like, we you, live you, together. I came you expect, back from the yeah. Met Gala to give you a cupcake. <laughs> do you expect me to put my fucking phone in a cookie jar every time I'm home, you loser? Um, it's, <laughs> it, it yes. Is, is this one of those yes. things, but like the thing that you brought up, Austin, it reminds me of one of those, um, there's this very, it's kind of self-helpy, but actually somewhat revealing mental exercise where I can't remember who devises, probably some stupid Ted talk thing, but, uh, it's like make two lists. One is the three things that are most important to you and people will put like family, friends and Jesus or whatever. And then make a second list that's like, what are the three things that you spend your your free time on most most often? And it's just like, uh, like Netflix, family, friends, and, and Jesus. And no, like, yeah, like Netflix and uh, writing toxic stuff on Facebook, and um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, yeah, like yeah. looking at my phone or whatever. And it's just like, okay, so the second list is your first list. I'm sorry, mm. but that's and and there is yeah there there is a certain tension to be explored with that within the the context of this movie. But I think that the movie is sometimes in conflict with itself over how it's exploring that, at least through the lens of mm. her her friendships, which is that like. From the beginning, Rich Summer, who I really like this decision for his character, that he's the only person at the table who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I read Runway and I'm, you know, I, I, I really appreciate it. And even if I'm even if I'm not super well dressed or so, whatever, like I understand fashion's place within a cultural context more broadly. But then yes. like 20 minutes later, he's just like, no, how dare she? How, how dare yeah. she pass up a dream job to not attend the, your gallery opening where you just have like lean a bunch of pictures of buildings well, this, is, this, is why, this is why the friends to me uh, they're a little bit too tropey as mm -hmm. like these snooty liberal elites who are like educated and they're like wait a second you want to do something important in the world and yet you're at this unimportant magazine in this unimportant industry like fashion and then that's why then the more you are 
like immersed in the fashion world, you start to then kind of see that for Miranda and 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 then not only for Miranda, but Andy starts to see it too, that there is importance in the fashion industry. It's just a different type of importance and you have to be able to speak that language to see it. And that's why for me, the, the kind of pinnacle of this film, the, the peak of this film where it, the Stanley it's Tucci most monologue. interesting to me is when Miranda... Well, that's great too, but it's actually the Miranda monologue when Miranda's wearing. I'm sorry, when Andy's wearing that like. Oh, the royal cerulean blue. monologue. Yes. Cerulean sweater. I said cerulean scarf earlier. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that to me is actually the most interesting thing because it talks about production and it's like you think that you just went to Nordstrom Rack or whatever and you just picked this thing up, but you don't understand the hours that. Uh, the, the the artistic energy, the material resources that have gone into making this thing unique as a sweater um, that, that that is kind of timeless in its expression as a mm-hmm. creation of all of these different machinations together. And for me, that's kind of the most interesting stuff that this film really gets at. Is, is that monologue for me is the most interesting, and and partly because I agree with it, and partly because I actually think it feeds into kind of something that I that I think is a bit wrong, which I, we can get to in a second. But but Riley, go ahead. Oh, I mean, it, it just like yeah, I know we're, we've been talking a lot about the friends and like just kind of the the tropiness of them, but it's like it's yeah, it's like literally her friends. They all toast to like to jobs that pay the rent. You got to do what you got to do, even if we don't <laughs> dig your job. You, you're doing it, and then later they're like, "How absolutely dare you take this goddamn <laughs> job? Like you psychopath!" <laughs> and it, so that's really wild. Right. And and I know that like everyone in the chat's been talking about too, which which I was thinking a lot about of like this trope of like women can't have it all. Of like it has to be boyfriend or job, but all of that. Plus, then, like, you know, what we're talking about of, like, what what we think about, put our time and on towards, that's what matters most to us. And so it's, like, that mixed with, like, and I think some things that, you know, the themes that the, the movie brings up is, like, what quote-unquote should matter to us versus what actually does. And so it's, like, what, you know, whether you're friends or your partner or whatever, or even, like, you know, then, like, that compared to like Emily and Miranda all being these forces of being like here's what should matter to you like this is what matters to us and so that means it should matter to you and this is what it's right like that you should be prioritizing and so it's like you know if we don't have those just thinking of like a much broader context it's like if we were just in a vacuum and like didn't have anyone being like you should care about this and like trying to influence it's like then where would we want to put our attention and then it's like if we didn't have anyone telling us that that was wrong would we want to change it or reshift priorities or whatever i i think though the 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 tucci monologue you kind of have to talk about in the same in the same conversation as the cerulean monologue because what you were just saying riley i actually i i disagree with slightly which is that uh, unless i misinterpreted what you're saying which is that while her friends are are pressuring her to like you know you you have to prioritize us blah 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 i don't ever get the sense that the runway crew is saying like you have to care about this uh, you know it, so tucci has that monologue that ends with yeah. the, the sort of the twist of the knife he says something to the effect of like so many other women would kill to do what you only deign to do mm-hmm. and this whole thing where he's breaking down like what how fashion and runway and the the industry and culture that it represents or or serves as a microcosm of were like a lifeline to him as a young gay man it that it positions this thing of like this is what i love and you don't have to love it that's fine but if you're Mm -hmm. here 
you kind you you kind of Try. have to res- <laughs> you have to respect that we love it and you have yeah. you know and it's it's that thing of like so w- the the only minor pushback i would say to what what you were saying once again unless i'm mischaracterizing it is that like I never feel like they're unfair with their expectations of her until it's go and find me the seventh Harry Potter book, which is ridiculous. Totally. But yeah. I, I do think as far as like, from like a peer pressure standpoint, they're not like a countervailing force to her friends so much as just like, this is your job. We expect you, even if you don't care about your work, you should still care about your job and want to do a good job. Totally. I think more because I yes, I agree. I don't I didn't feel that from Nigel at all. Nigel truly was like, I don't give a shit if you don't like (laughs) it, but like you're here. Um, But more, I think more at the beginning, like it's less, you know what? Like, I think you're right. It's less the pushback on her and more of just like a reflection of her, like especially from Emily, I think of like kind of the shaming of like what she looks like and like you don't like this, this or this and like that, you know, with with uh, the other uh, co-workers being like, oh my God, have you seen how she dresses? And like, why wouldn't you wear these shoes? Like certain, um, that's less about like you should care about this. But yeah, I think you're right of more of just like we love these things and a little bit I think of shaming from Emily at the beginning of like, sure. how would you not like this? Like, you're you're a dumbass for not liking these things (laughs) um but but yeah it's it's less you know far less than their friends being like quit your job and give nate cake baby bird feed it from your mouth and if you don't (laughs) it reminds me weirdly of another white people problems movie of uh, uh in the big chill how jeff goldblum in that film is like i think he's uh He's a writer. Uh, he's in. He's in editorial for like Rolling Stone or Newsweek. It's some. It's a, a pretty you know well known periodical, and all of his friends are like, ah, eh, well, you know, he's not like a real journalist or whatever. <laughs> it is. It is just bizarre. Like, no, this is kind of. It's. It, it seems like a really good opportunity and a really good job with a a, a whole lot of upside. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and I don't know why yeah. everyone's. It's so funny though to watch because of course in the eighties I'm sure you know the. The people with whom that character is perambulating, like maybe, yeah, they look down their nose at, at Newsweek or whatever because he's not working for the old gray lady. But uh, in this one, it seems like this their attitude towards her job is maybe just like like five years on like a five year delay in a way. Like this is runway is essentially Vanity Fair. Like this is this is one of the only last magazines in the game and it feels like their attitude towards her job is very much steeped in like, I don't know, a 2020 culture where like all print media is dead. Whereas then it was like far more, when it was written, the book was written. I, I imagine it was far more flourishing and far more promising. And it's, it's, this is one of those things like, what is their deal? <laughs> Especially, oh, just, just one more note on that. Angel Lover uh, 02171 also said that it's weird that Nate is a chef and probably has to sacrifice <laughs> yes, a lot. Yes. He, he, like he misses out on a lot of time with Andy, but can't let her have her dream job, which is one hundred percent true. He's just fucking threatened. Yeah, like he probably has insane hours, like way worse than hers. And he's like, "You're not home." <laughs> yeah, he, he works at like a. He, I think he works at a place that's open till like midnight or like. It's, I mean, but he always answers her call, Raymond. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he picks her up. 
Let's hold that thought and give a quick shout to our sponsor, Shudder. Look, as a fan of the supernatural thrillers and all things horror, this is the greatest month ever. Why? Because Shudder is releasing the most amazing shows, and to be honest, I just can't get enough. With Shudder, you can stream supernatural thriller and horror movies and TV shows across all your favorite devices, and the Shudder streaming library is just about everything. So from original movies like VHS 94 to the hit series Creepshow by executive producer Greg Nicotero um, of The Walking Dead. Y'all remember him. And, you know, Shudder, they just released this really cool and spooky exclusive documentary as well. It's called Woodland's Dark and Days Bewitched. It's the ultimate history of the folk horror genre. So that's really rad as well. And if you're into horror thriller and supernatural like I am, then folks, you got to check this out. I mean, they got more than 30 titles from the folk horror genre, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Impedigore, Kill List. I could go on and on and on and on, but I won't for your sake. I'm just going to tell you, go check out Shudder. So as I said, if you're a fan of supernatural, thriller, and all things horror, you're going to love Shudder as much as I do. And right now, you can stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free if you go to Shudder.com and use code SHOWME. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, code Show me to stream your first 30 days of Shudder for free. So Shudder.com, code show me. Or, of course, click the link in the show notes. All right, back to the show. He but picks then he even it says up. He's okay. like, he, when he's like harping on her about like how unimportant her job is, and she even pushes back. She's like, I know you think this is stupid, like whatever, but like I'm embracing it. And he even like admits he's like, listen, I make port wine reductions all day. Like I'm not out there changing the world either. But then it's like, then it's like, well, what's the hierarchy of like, okay, if you're making port wine reductions and she's doing like, you know, then what's more valued? I, and why? Is it? But is it is it that is it that she's like betraying her principles and like the woman that he has met and was inspired by and 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 then and then he's like okay so then like like you you talk out of this side of your mouth and you say this and then you shit on this over here and now you're fully buying it like like who are you I think they tried to make that the the, the key kind of salient point in the relationship I just don't know. I just don't know that it that it's the one that sticks. I just don't know it's the emphasis. And then it's also kind of shitty. It's kind of like, oh wait, so so then uh, to be my partner, you can only care about like international global politics or something like that. Like 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 that's the only important stuff. Like people grow and they learn that these other worlds are important, right? That's part of maturing and and being exposed to something that that hasn't been um, in your world prior to that. So so there is like it is just kind of underwritten maybe, and and I mean young immaturity, whatever. I guess I kind of get it because what are they like? early 20s like she just graduates from northwestern when this film starts so well and and it's just uh a time commitment too right like just the fact that she's like not only is she betraying her principles and being in this world that she doesn't necessarily hasn't bought in yet but then also she's spending like all of her free time there she's she's doing what the guy says is right she's She's not writing like even her dad she's like you don't have time to write and she's like i'm writing emails (laughs) yeah exactly that was a pretty good anne hathaway by the way (laughs) (laughs) listen again i cannot disclose how many times i've seen this film without my lawyer present but um it's 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 enough (laughs) she and anne hathaway did a a really good interview on uh, wtf with mark Marin, and she she talks about how um she was offered this role before Meryl Streep signed on. And then when Meryl Streep signed on, they the studio kicked Anne Hathaway off the movie 
because they thought she wouldn't be able to, she would be outclassed by Meryl. Wow. And they approached a laundry list of actors. I think the top of it was Rachel McAdams, who you can definitely see playing a role like this. Um, and she she said on Mark Marin that she was like, by whatever twist of fate, every single actor on their their new list that was, you know, quote unquote, better than me or better suited for the role, they all said no. They all just turned it down. And then they came back and offered it to me a second time. And I was like, yeah, I've been fucking waiting. <laughs> and And that it just... But I only bring that up to say, like, since we're talking about Anne Hathaway as an actor, you know, she's so good in this. It's so difficult to imagine anyone else playing this. It really does feel like despite being less showy or iconic as a Miranda Priestly or as a, a Stanley Tucci's character, it it still is one of those that feels like a signature role for her. Um, she's she's phenomenal in the picture. And she never, she never devolves into an archetype. She never becomes a bitch. She never becomes really shallow. Like, it, the, 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 the job never corrupts her. And I think that's, you know, a testament to her performance because I think some of, some of this could have been played in a much, uh, 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 or a far less generous way. Yeah. And I think all those showier roles, like, shine. Oh, sorry, just last thing about that because I'd never thought about it that way, that it's like, I think everyone else is so, you know, all those other roles are so iconic and we can give them so much praise because she does such an incredible job. And it's like, if she didn't do as good of a job as she did, I think it's like, it would have thrown the whole, obviously if she's the lead, it's like would have thrown the whole film out of whack. But it's like, she really, yeah, she really carried it. I got a few questions here that we didn't get to that I think are interesting. So I'm going to list off three of them and then you choose which ones we're going to talk about. So the first one is the title, The Devil Wears Prada. Is Miranda the devil or is it the industry and that type of kind of like a structural tendency and it just so happens that Miranda stands in that position? So what's the devil, right? The devil wears Prada. Like, like obviously, I think there, there maybe could be a multiple meanings there, but okay, so that. Uh, the second one is the idea that the film talks about fashion as a symbol of class. And then the third one is back to Miranda's, um, what is it, Cerulean? Uh, the, the Cerulean, the sweater monologue and like the, the top-down ways of production and how it trickles down. So those are the three things. So Riley, which one do you want to talk about? Oh, God. I mean, listen, it, for me at least, one of the quick answers, number one, is capitalism and Miranda and fashion all in <laughs> one for the devil. <laughs> I think uh, it's Miranda. But- yeah, I mean, I think it's all of it. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm down for whatever y'all want to talk about. All of those seem equally interesting. So to me. why is she the devil? Why is she the devil? Like, what is like in what way is it? Just because she's like a tough boss? Yes. Like, is that is that what the devil is? That's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ryan's I mean, like, done. Also, this book, this book was written about Anna Wintour, and then the book became a bestseller. And you're not going to change the title of the book. And maybe Miranda Priestly is a little bit, a little bit more empathetic than Anna Wintour. It's a great name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a, a hell of a title. Um, but I don't know. In the context of this movie, like removing it from its source material, there's a big part of me that feels like it's it's less uh, less prescriptive. It's not necessarily any one of these characters is the devil so much as like Prada as uh, you know as a signifier of wealth and materialism and you know in some ways like corruption. However you want to read it uh, or, or or people's attachment to material wealth as being like uh, having deleterious effects on them. I can see why the devil as a symbol of 
you know, greed and materialism and, uh, and selfishness would be equated or, uh, or, or rather conflated with that. But I don't know. And like, it, it, oh, sorry. If, um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but it's like, you know, then the idea of like what Andy has to do to, to, to succeed and like, you know, deals with the devil, like whatever, you know, in, mm. in. Does she sell her soul? Yeah. And like yeah. selling her soul. Totally. And, and like, especially when Miranda's like telling her, she's like, you're going to go to Paris. And she's like, no, like that's like, that's where I draw the line. I can't do that. And she's like, <laughs> and then you she has to cut job, Emily's throat for Miranda. Yeah, exactly. And, and then even like in the car afterwards, after the lunch, when Miranda's explaining, like, I knew all about this and like all the flashback of like, whoa. And <laughs> <laughs> like, Anne Hathaway is like, I I could never. Oh, because Miranda's like, I see a lot of myself in you. You remind me a lot of me. And she's like, I could never do what you did. And she's like, you already did. And so it just like, then that being a reflection of like, oh shit, I've made all these decisions. And like, and then for what? And then that being the breaking point of like, I don't, like that's not who. And, she, and then Miranda being like, everyone wants to be us. And then her that being the out. Mm. Okay, Ryan. So I feel like uh, I feel like you and I have had some interesting discussions about capitalism and aspiration and stuff like that. And this film is all about that. Before we go into the mailbag and talk about "Don't Look Up," because we got inundated by like thousands of emails—not really thousands, but a lot of emails, probably more emails than we've gotten in a long time hundreds about any film that we've ever done. That's right, hundreds of thousands of emails, uh, Ryan. The floor is yours to to wrap up this discussion on the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, I just gave a suggestion, but whatever you want to say, you the next couple minutes, you go. Uh, well, just about the name. I think it is a clever name that does work on multiple levels because clearly it's like the Devil Wears Prada is referring to the shitty boss and how just mean she is, just on a human level. But I do think that they, you are kind of, you can kind of read into it in the sense that. Like who is Meryl Streep? Who is Miranda in this in this thing? You know, she is somebody that is just completely self-involved in her own world and is trying to manipulate the masses through her, through through fashion, which is arguably the most you know superficial, vapid, you know whatever uh, uh, thing that humans do to to try and assimilate with each other. Like like and so you can kind of really read into her character that she does kind of work in this evil industry almost you could you could make a case for it right not saying that all fashion is evil but but especially with just how she behaves she clearly is you know in it for for miranda and uh and then she doesn't treat anybody that she that that is around her well Well, what's interesting to me though is that the devil essentially is redeemed at the end in a a slight small way just that little smile at the end when she's you know uh uh has seen uh, Andy for the first time in a while, you can kind of tell, like, she cares about her. She's not completely evil. You could have very well made, like, a Wolf of Wall Street version of this movie where you're just supposed to be at the end, like, look how, you know, this is a cautionary tale. Look how big of a piece of shit this per- this character is. She is the devil. She wears Prada. Don't be like her. <laughs> but it doesn't really take that. It kind of, like we've said in the rest of the, th- the podcast, it kind of, you know, everyone gets a little humanized in this. And you kind of see where everyone's coming from, and that it's all—it's a satirical film in a way that also is taking itself seriously. It's—it's it's poking fun at the industry that it's about, but it also, you know, uh, takes it takes everyone's needs and wants and desires seriously and dreams about fashion and stuff, which I think is cool. Okay, let's let's do let's wrap this up with with two things real quick. If you if you were going to make a deal with the devil, what would that deal be? Because like, what's the thing? 
that the devil could like get you well, to look, make a deal with. And then we that the devil lives down in Clarksdale, Mississippi, at the corner of you've been there. Highway I've seen a video. You, right next you to the church's there. chicken. And that's why yeah, Ryan's right. a great guitarist. He teaches you how to play guitar. <laughs> well. Yeah, that's why I'm so badass at the seven chords I know on 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 guitar. So that's what I would do. Just get better. Okay. And then and then Dude Abides asks in the chat, um, what is a piece of fashion that you regret regret wearing from the past? For me, it's Jinko jeans. Damn things always got caught under my shoes. <laughs> First of all, I I I tried a couple times to rock those jeans. You know the one thing I do wonder, why was I so obsessed with sagging my pants so far when I was in like elementary school and junior high? So that's like what? From like 11, 12 to like 16. It was like, maybe not 16, 15. It was like sagging my pants. And I remember at one point, I used to literally wear them like past my butt. Yeah, like, I, you won the I mean, sag I get it. It's a thing. I get, I was, I was freaking, I was, I was just a poser though, man. Cause I wasn't even like really a skater. So I, I don't know what I was like for me. That's just one of those things that I'm just curious about. Like, why did I do that so much? I don't know. What about you? Uh, fashion faux pas that you wish you could take back. Riley, you got any? Pinstripe fedora and moving on. Raymond, what about you? Ryan, what about you? <laughs> uh, oh boy. Uh, tight, tight, like collared shirt at Hot Topic. I was like, oh, I want to get a small, so I just like it look really tight in this. For <laughs> the some Simon Cowell effect. Yeah, I'm like, what do I do that for? But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Do we have photos. Um, for for me, I've dressed uh, exactly the same ever since I was a kid. I just wear jeans and t-shirts everywhere. So I'm sure plenty of people would bust on me for my uh, my lack of fashion sense. But um, was there ever a time that you put on a shiny shirt for an event or for like a graduation a high school shirt? photo? A shiny shirt. I don't know. I don't know. Nothing comes to mind. I mean, maybe for like marching band or something like that, but nothing nothing that jumps uh, yeah. to mind as like, oh boy, that was really embarrassing or whatever. I will uh, say just, and just for marching one, band you had to. Yeah, yeah. Just one one final note on the movie with regards to clothing. Shout out Patricia Field, the uh, Oscar nominated wardrobe designer. There's a great montage in this movie where Meryl Streep uh walks past Emily Blunt's desk and throws Forty Ugh. different jackets onto her desk, and she's styled in forty different impeccable styles. And that probably took one or two days just to shoot that montage. Yeah, like, that's that's pretty that's pretty good stuff. You know, that's the uh, the extra mile that kind of the the kind of thing that puts this movie over. Uh, talking about fashion, real quick, Austin. I would I take every opportunity to let the public know this that I <laughs> beat Lady Gaga. By like five or ten years on the meat dress, I in, I wore a a, a vest made out of raw bacon to, to school for Tacky Day, and there is still a there's the Ryan Haley rule in the Buzz Book that says you are not allowed to wear animal products to school because of that. So oh Lady boy. Gaga, I'm coming for you. Oh and you my got gosh. you I you stole my idea, motherfucker. Wow, people think she's so fashion forward, but she's just derivative as an artist. Yeah. Oh wait, what was that? I, I said I had a bull cut as a kid, and then I I cut my hair into a bull cut once in high school for a sketch, and then I just I wore it around like that for a few days as a bit, but it wasn't really <laughs> funny. Everyone just made I fun of me. I want to see with hair. Oh no, <laughs> the best kind of bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's me. wrap up the discussion of. Of Devil Wears Prada, and let's just briefly, because um, I'm also mindful of the time, let's briefly just get into the mailbag, because we literally got flooded with emails about don't look up. So I want to read one of the more um, flame-worthy ones 
from Corey who says, Austin, 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 I'm so disappointed. I understand that you have perhaps center right leanings, which is just not true, but we'll, we'll let it keep going. Um, but you are honestly wrong about DLU. You are critical of DLU for portraying only one side, and you're right. They spend way more time making fun of the left. There are really only two scenes which really reference right-leaning voters. The Trumpish rally was perhaps the only moment the movie took a jab at far-right extremist voters. The only time where we see a reference to the center-right voter was when Jennifer Lawrence's character comes home to her parents. It is, at worst, somber. Meanwhile, the rest of the movie is solidly making fun of the left. We have the vapid blogger, the hollow-headed performance, artist, even the politician whose only platform is, quote, not the current president. And then goes off and, and says a lot more stuff. Um, and then talks about, let's talk about the peer review moment in the movie. They're uh, comparing the harebrained scheme by Billionaire versus a decade-old program run by NASA, which has been simulated, rehearsed, and has built infrastructure which predates the events in the movie. A program ignored by the Trumpian president. Um, and because I did a little rant on peer review. First of all, they, uh, he, Corey goes on to say, peer review doesn't end at publishing. The scientific community is always interrogating and defending theories and conclusions. As long as there are two people in a field, there's going to be conflicting opinions. Now, two things I need to say. One, I am definitely not center right, um, but I, <laughs> far, I far appreciate Austin. I appreciate the effort. Um, and then two, the issue with peer review. I think people, just so you know, I'm a published academic. That's what I do. Like, there's a monograph that kind of like changed the landscape of how we understand Marxist philosophy for the left today that I wrote that is peer-reviewed to shit, right? So I, I understand how peer review works. We got a couple of emails about peer review, and we need to clarify this. So it isn't that peer review is bad. It's that I think the scientific community is kind of introducing terms into the public consciousness like peer review and it seems as though that it is just like this automatic good right that it's like um a faultless process whereas what my point was is that oftentimes in peer review because there's these pressures in academia to publish or perish which means you have to publish or you're not going to get promoted and you have to publish a shit ton oftentimes what academics do is they cite each other as friends or as bros, because the more you can cite somebody, then the more times you're actually going to be kind of getting citations in return, and so you're going to beef out your publications list. Now, in science, it's different than in social sciences and the humanities, where I have worked, right? In science, the way that it works is if I write a paper and I send it to Raymond to have a look at, and he gives me some notes on it, he gets a, he gets a, a name as like a co as a co-author. In the humanities and the social sciences, it's not that way. If it were that way, I would have 100 publications rather than 10 publications, <laughs> right? Because in the, science, in the social sciences and the humanities, you are the sole author 99% of the time. Although I do have an article coming out recently, which is a co-authored seven with seven co-authors that will be coming out in the top journal on political international political economy, which will be coming out soon on Lukash if you're interested in that kind of stuff and you understand these the term Lukash, if that matters to you, then keep an eye out for that. But so I get it. The issue isn't about like peer review being bad or science being bad. It's about let's not like extol it to the level of a deity. That was my point. Now, Raymond, Ryan, and Riley, you weren't here on the episode. So but what, what do you think about don't look review? up? <laughs> yeah. No, just about like, 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 like that as being an element of the film or just use it as a launch pad. What do you, what do you think? Riley, go ahead. I haven't seen Don't Look Up yet, so no. <laughs> All right, actions on me. Um, I don't know. I thought I thought the I thought the movie was uh, not not great. I think 
the thing that really got me about it was that I, I really like Adam McKay. I think he's a, uh, a sharp screenwriter um, and a sharp filmmaker. And I, I think the thing that didn't really do it for me with Don't Look Up is that it's just not a very sharp film. It just, you know, I... I just it it just feels a little bit scattershot. It feels like they're they're going after a lot of uh, different worthy targets, but they don't really have the the focus or the runtime to to really nail down any one of them. Um, you know, that's that, that's about it for me. Um, I just I think that the movie could have been been more focused and funnier, or maybe you know it might have worked better as like a miniseries or something like that. Um, but that said, I think uh, Adam McKay and David Sirota's hearts are in the right place with regards to trying to use their art as uh, as a platform for activism or advocacy. You know, Austin, you talk about that every week in our Storyblocks ad. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I think I often think of um, April Wolf, who who uh, wrote uh, the recent remake of Black Christmas that came out in 2019, she said something in a blog post that I think about often where um, people who weren't crazy about that movie, for the record, I, I like their Black Christmas, uh, uh, she and uh, Sophie, Sophia um But she said something in, in a blog post about how like they had been taken to task for being so blunt and not being more subtle with the movie. And she said something in the blog about how like, uh, well, you know, art has been subtle up to this point and look at where it got us. Um, you know, we're, we're, getting like death where threats. it got us yeah yeah look at, look at look at where it has gotten us saying saying like in the context of their black christmas adaptation they were getting like death threats for making the movie like too quote-unquote feminist or whatever another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Um, and I, I think, you know, I kind of hear that in the back of my head with something like don't look up. Is like, yeah, sure, I'd like it to be more subtle and sharper and what have you. But like, look at where that has gotten us. You know, we, we should have been taking action uh to uh, uh, halt climate change 40 years ago. And, you know, if here we are. If art the... was telling us more bluntly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, this. I don't I don't think that this is going to move the needle. I don't think any of the, you know, I mentioned a couple of movies, or I, uh, Austin, on my behalf, mentioned a couple of movies that I think deal with the climate crisis in a, a much more uh, human and uh, interesting way, like First Reform, Silent Night, Night Moves. Um, but uh, none of those movies, despite being superior films like stop the world from cooking. So I I don't want to like lay that at Adam McKay's feet. Like, you know, you're damned if you're you right do, that. damned if you don't. I uh, um I I it sounds like I like this movie surprisingly more than you did, Raymond, cuz I um yeah. I was expecting to fucking hate it. And then <laughs> um and then I saw it and I actually thought it was way more fun than I'd anticipated. And in terms of it working on as like a satire and stuff about all this stuff and even like yeah, bringing up it seemed like you said it, it's throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, and you brought a peer review, Austin and whatnot. I, I don't think I think it fails on virtually every level as like a uh, pot, like, a, like a culture war takedown of all this stuff, mm. right? Like like I like 
I guess if, you know, Meryl Streep's supposed to be Trump or whatever, I don't think that, yeah, that necessarily really worked. But I do think that, like, just the very simple idea of there's a big comet coming for Earth and everyone is too stupid to do anything and look up to do it. I, I thought it worked on that level, like on just a very broad, <laughs> like, almost like idiocracy or something, where it's just like very simply like, yeah, that to me, that movie's not a perfect movie either, but the idea of... And the and the, all the dumb people are going to reproduce and then make us stupider and then in the future we're all going to be you know super dumb. All right, that works to me as a as a potent satirical <laughs> message. Whereas I think that don't look up, you know, is yeah, it was it, it did it, the the concept alone felt like Adam McKay, you know, just like shaking all of us, saying like look up, you know, and but it did kind of feel like a lot of the characters were just literally screaming at you. Uh, to, uh, during the film and that part a lot of that stuff i don't think really worked because it just is, it does kind of come off even even though yeah we people should be screaming at each other because you know to, to, to wake up about this shit it just kind of comes off as pretentious and elitist and you're like all right well who the fuck are you you know like are, are your mister is still going on your fucking private jets everywhere or whatever the fuck people <laughs> yeah, okay. will, people so will complain we can continue about talking with, with about filmmakers. this we probably should continue talking about this, but we are already past time. I do want to just say that, Ryan, that kind of your point was exactly my point. Like, I'm a radical lefty, but for me, um, I think that critiques, when center, they're just mean-spirited... Right, radical left. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah, same, same thing. Um, when, they're, when, they're, when they're, like, unnuanced, and, like, I didn't like Idiocracy. Remember, we actually talked about Idiocracy, that and episode. I talked about how I didn't like it because mm-hmm. I thought it was too fucking mean. I thought it was not mean in, like, a, I just want people to be nice to each other, kumbaya, but in a sense that I think that in order to actually understand, like, there are reasons why people believe certain things or don't believe certain things and I think understanding um, is extremely important and this film really just kind of bludgeons people and kind of like Mm -hmm. says that oh the only reason you don't understand is because you're stupid because you don't believe in science with a capital S and we believe in science so we're not stupid which is very sort of Carl Schmitt us versus them kind of bullshit bully politics and um I just think that that's that's kind of gross, and I think yeah. it's highly entitled. It's highly elitist, and so that was really my 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 issue with it. And then I just want to give a shout out to to um, Daniel, who also wrote in, who um, has a master's in science, and so talked about the peer review process. We hear you, Daniel. Love you, Daniel. Appreciate your thoughts. Um, thank you for sharing those things. And then Darcy wrote in also um, and just said kind of something similar about how listen, um, the critique, the negative critique, is really strange to me because we are in a human existential crisis, and this is a movie that scientists are supporting because this is an emergency and we need to sound that. Again, I think that everyone in the podcast last week, none of us deny the imminent threat of climate breakdown. The issue isn't about that. And I think we can critique pieces of media or art that try to address those things without somehow thinking like it's coming from a right-wing perspective with trying to call (laughs) us to higher critiques. And that's what I would think. I want us to have higher critiques, better, richer, more robust, understanding of where people are coming from, why they're coming from that. Because once we get to the core mechanisms that cause people to act in certain ways, believe in certain things, vote vote, vote in certain patterns, then we can actually change things. But if you don't, then you're just dealing at the level of ideas, and then it just becomes flame wars throwing shit at each other across the fence yeah. and that to me is problematic looking for truth so, baby i really dig that the movie got made i think i think that adam mckay as a leftist is is not the kind of person who blames voters in reality so i agree with you austin it is it, it's a salient criticism that it seems like he's blaming voters in the context of the movie whereas i think my my criticism of it is if maybe if they just focused more on the media's complacency in it it probably would have been a, a, a bit more sharp 
Yeah. Okay. So if you want to contribute more to this, because I'm sure this is just stirring up more in the shit can, please email us movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. You can also call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. Ryan's nemesis has left us a voicemail. We can't get to it this week. We can't. <laughs> we just don't have time. But it's about Matrix. So oh, the next on. time that Ryan is with us, hopefully next week, we will play Ryan's nemesis, nemesis's voicemail, and we will address his take. Let's so, go. But uh, like I said, call us one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. Email us movies at wisecrack.co. Check out our Twitter. Uh, go hit us up on Patreon so you can get access to bonus content. But let's get out of here. Where can people find you on the internet, Riley? Ooh, I'm on Instagram at Riley Anspa and on Twitter at Riley Coyote. All right, and Raymond. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. And Ryan. Ryan Shorts, about to release uh, a new song about all the famous people from Memphis. It's a song that you should check out. And you'll be utilizing your your Faustian ill-gotten guitar skills on (laughs) Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, and you can was, find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. You can find me on Insta, AOS underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast. We've been on a long hiatus, but we are coming back. We have a new producer. Maddie from Wisecrack is going to be producing Owls at Dawn, who also does the Culture Bench. So we fucking love Maddie, and she's going to help us out to get us back to being consistent and stuff after uh, a little bit of a hiatus. But it's a philosophy podcast, culture, politics, etc., etc., where you can hear more of my center right. Are you Wink, pay, wink, are you wink, paying wink, her wink, in wink, burnt wink. toast? Ideas. That little gremlin. <laughs> hey man, there's th- th- that money, that podcast money for uh, radical left wing political philosophy is just fucking flowing. You yeah, don't no. even understand. Isn't All right, it let's called get the, the bowels out of, here. of Don. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, like Don, Don, Donald Trump's bowels in the owls, oh. folks. I've seen the owls. I've seen their documents. Ryan, send us out of <laughs> yeah, here before right. this devolves. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. This has been Show Me the Meeting, Second Delaware's Prada Podcast.